Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. question for you this morning. Just think about what comes into your mind if I say the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. I wonder what that brings to mind for you. Maybe you think of a certain experience that you've had, a certain moment in time, and you're like, yeah, at that moment, I experienced that. I, I had this thing that happened to me that I would use that terminology to describe. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's had effects in your life ever since. And it's set you in motion for loads of good things. Or maybe you can think of a moment and an experience and you say, well, I think in that moment I would have said I was filled with the Holy Spirit, but that seems a world away. It seems a long time ago. My life then and my life now seem so different. Or maybe I say the words filled with the Holy Spirit and your first thought is, I don't know what that means. It's kind of church language, isn't it? It's the kind of phrase that's often thrown around. But maybe you're just not sure what it's actually referring to. Maybe you're even a little bit suspicious for whatever reason. That that phrase doesn't bring positive emotions in you. Maybe you've seen people who talk about being filled with the Spirit. And you look at them and you think, you're just a bit weird. And so I'm suspicious of the whole thing. Or maybe you've never heard the phrase before and you don't know what any of this is. Well, I want to look at it this morning. I want to help us think about what it is to be filled with the Spirit. And to do it, I want to tell you about someone I know called Peter. Now, 15 years ago, I used to be part of a Church of England church. It was pretty traditional, as C of E goes. Um, Old school, they had like a robed choir. That was the vibe of this church. Um, But I started doing some youth work for the church. They'd given me a job, so I thought, well, I'd best start going along to the church. Uh, And one of the first people I met there was this man called Peter. And there was something about him that was magnetic, that I I was drawn to him. When When I talked to him, there was a real love for God that just shone through in everything he said. He was sincere in his faith. When you heard him pray, you could tell he really meant it. He, he was talking to God. He wasn't just kind of uttering words. There was something vibrant about how he prayed. He was really enthusiastic about sharing his faith with people who didn't know Jesus. He was loving. He gave of himself. He, he was really humble as well, actually. Like, you talked to him. And he wasn't trying to uh, push any agenda. He wasn't trying to put himself across. He was a really down-to-earth guy. He always had time for you. When there was a group discussion, he'd always have something to say, something upbuilding, something faith-lifting. And so naturally, I wanted to spend time around Peter. I wanted to get to know him and find out a bit about his story and learn from him. Um, and Peter was early 50s at this point in time. Uh, he was a police officer. He worked in the London Met Police, quite a senior guy in that organisation. And he told me, he said, Tom, if you'd have met me six months earlier you'd have seen a very different Peter. What, what, what you see now isn't where I was at a few months ago. If you'd have met me six months ago, you'd have found a guy who came along to church. He'd been part of this church all his life since he was a boy. So he'd been doing it for a long time. But he'd say you'd have found someone who was going through the motions. Someone who would turn up on a Sunday, not, not every week, but quite often, as someone who was nominally in a community group, would go along to it sometimes, but 
but not really say a lot unless he had to. Someone who never really went to prayer meetings, who in his own personal life then, his faith didn't seem to seep in that much. He, was, he had his career, he had his family, he had his hobbies, things that he did, but his faith was just kind of there as a going through the motions thing. And that, that was Peter, and he'd been doing that for a long, long time. And then there was the Peter that I met, totally transformed. I said, okay, well, that's quite a drastic transformation. So tell me what happened, Peter. What was this change in your life? What brought it about? And what he told me is in in the police station that he worked at, there's a few of the Christians who who were part of that police force had started this prayer meeting. And they found out Peter went along to church. So they invited him to go to this prayer meeting as well. And so he he went along. um, For whatever reason, he agreed to go. And then one time at this prayer meeting... They said, Peter, can we pray for you? And he said, yeah, okay, you can pray for me. And so a few of these other officers gathered around Peter and they started praying for him. Some put their hand on his shoulder. Uh, People were praying for God to meet with him. They were praying for the Holy Spirit to work in Peter's life. And he said at that moment in time, he had an experience of the presence of God like nothing that he'd known before. And out of that moment in time, then everything changed. All the things that I saw in Peter's life, he traces them all back to this moment. He was prayed for, he met with God in a new way, and that turbocharged his life as a follower of God. Now recently I've been reading the book of Acts, and I don't know if you've ever read through the book of Acts, but when I read it, what I find is things like what happened to Peter seem quite normal in this story. And they seem to be happening over and over again, And the language the book of Acts uses for this kind of experience is the phrase filled with the Spirit. This is the Bible's way of explaining something like what happened to my friend Peter. So we've got this image of being filled with the Spirit. And the image, it's not so much like liquid in a glass, like you're not putting a glass under the tap and filling it to the top. Because the the word in the original languages for spirit is the same as the word for wind or for breath. So we're not thinking like liquid filling a glass. A good way to picture it, I don't know if you ever did this as a kid, but we'd have this thing that we'd do where you've got your arms in your sleeves and you take the corners of your coat and you hold them above your head like this at the top of the hill on a windy day. I don't know if any of you ever did that, but if you do it, what happens is you catch the wind and your coat gets filled with this wind that's blowing And if it's windy enough, and if it's a good enough hill, and if you've got a good enough coat, what happens is sometimes you can't even stand still, because this wind that's filled your coat propels you along, and you're caught in the the movement of the wind, and you're taken in the direction the wind is going. That's the picture that we've got. Another version of the same picture might be a sailing ship. It puts its sail up, and that sail is filled with the wind, and so that boat is propelled along in the way the wind is moving. Now, we know in the Bible that anyone who's a Christian, anyone who follows Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. You can't become a Christian without a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in you. But what we're talking about when we're talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit is something a bit different to that. It's catching the wind of God in your life. Amy Semple McPherson was an evangelist near the start of the 20th century, and she said, my task is to be pleasing to Christ, to be empty of self 
and be filled with himself, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's what she wanted for herself. That's what I want for myself. Honestly, it's what I want for each and every person in this room, that we have this life filled with the Holy Spirit, propelled along by the wind of God moving in our lives. And so my plan for the time we've got this morning is I want to teach on what this is from the book of Acts, and then I want to pray for us that God would fill us with his Holy Spirit. That's where we're going to go. And so I'm going to teach from the book of Acts. I'm going to um, skim through the whole book and just pick out different instances where God's done this to see what we can learn. Because, you know, the book of Acts is our story. It's the story of Jesus having given his church a job to do. And what we read in the Bible tells the first bit of the church doing that job. But the stories continued through the centuries as the church has continued living out this mission, and we're part of that. So this is our story. We live in this. So we're going to go through Acts. And we start in the first chapter, and there's just two brief mentions in Acts 1 of what it is to be filled with the Spirit. The first one is in verses 4 and 5. It's a promise that Jesus made where he instructed his disciples. He said, look, I'm going to go back to, to the Father, but just stay put in Jerusalem for now. I've got a mission for you. I've got things for you to do, but don't go yet. There's something that needs to happen first. And he said, I will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. So that word baptise, it's literally drench, immerse. Jesus is promising for his church. He's going to completely flood and wash over them with the Holy Spirit. And when, when we're talking the Holy Spirit, remember, we're not thinking some kind of impersonal force. This isn't like Star Wars, may the force be with you. This is the person of God. The Holy Spirit is God himself. So it's the presence and power and personal uh, presence of God in your life washing over you. That's the promise that Jesus made. And then in verse 8, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there'll be, there'll be power for you to be my witnesses. So the mission he gave them to go to different places and tell the good news of what he'd done, that would be in the power of the Spirit. And then in chapter 2, we see Jesus fulfill this promise and give the Holy Spirit to the church. And I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, please do turn to Acts and track along, or feel free to follow on the screen if that is your preference. But let's read those first four verses. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when I read that, I notice a few things going on around this group of people being filled with the Spirit. And the first one, I don't know if it jumped out to you like it did to me, But there was some crazy physical phenomena going on, wasn't there? The sound like a rushing wind filling the room they were in. That must have been quite an experience to be there in a prayer meeting. And then here, this big gale coming through the house. It's like, what is happening here? And then you see, like, it looks like fire is resting on everyone's head. This is crazy physical stuff, but God was moving. The other thing I noticed is this was a corporate experience. We're reading something that happened to a group of people together. It wasn't just one person on their own, but this happened to the church. 
And it had a noticeable effect. They started speaking in tongues. Now, sometimes when the Bible uses this uh, idea of speaking in tongues, it's talking about uh, a prayer language, speaking to God using heavenly languages. But on this occasion, they were just speaking human languages that they hadn't, hadn't learned. They were speaking languages from other parts of the world and giving their praise to God in this way. And then people from those countries who, who were around, were like, hang on, what, you're saying stuff in my language. When did you learn that? And like, I didn't learn that. But God had given them the ability to praise God in these other languages. Also, to some onlookers, it seemed as though they were drunk. So kind of imagine, you know, if... Um, if it's a busy day in the pubs and you're kind of uh, walking past a pub at kicking out time and you see the way people act, well, some of the onlookers were like, is that what's happening to these people? And Peter had to get up and say, no, no, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. They're they're not drunk. Weatherspoons isn't open in Jerusalem uh, at that time. But this is something that God had promised and it's something that God has fulfilled. And then he quotes an Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Joel, and it's quite an extended quote, so I'll just give the first couple of verses of it, uh, of what was happening, because I think that's the relevant bit. Verses 17 and 18 of Acts 2, he says, in the last days, and the last days is all the time from Jesus ascending back to heaven to when he comes again, so the, the age that we live in. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. There was a promise that God would pour out his Holy Spirit on all kinds of people, on men and women, on rich and poor, on old and young, that the whole people of God together would receive the spirit of God. And that would lead to prophecy, dreams, visions, all sorts of supernatural revelation happening. Well, then if we jump on through Acts a bit, we see uh, Acts 4.8 is the first example of this, but you get uh, many more through the book. Um, You see, filled with the Spirit start to be used as a way you can describe certain people. So Acts 4.8, it's talking about Peter. It says, and then Peter, filled with the Spirit, and goes on to say what he did. In Acts 6, they're picking some uh, people to oversee a social action project with the widows. And it says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And the first of those people they chose was Stephen, who it says was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Still talking about Stephen, this time as he's been martyred for his faith in Acts 7. It says, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Acts 11, talking about Barnabas, says he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Acts 13, it says Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, and goes on to say what he's going to do. Do you see, it seems like filled with the Holy Spirit or full of the Holy Spirit seems to be a way that you can describe certain people. You can look at the life of a particular individual and say, whoa, I see in you, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember years ago, I wanted to learn how to pray. Uh, I thought my prayer life was struggling a bit, and I thought, I'm going to get some help with this. I'm going to ask someone uh, if they would just sit with me and show me how they pray to help me. And I was thinking, who shall I ask? And there was a couple in the church that I was part of at the time, and they just stood out as the obvious candidate because they were so obviously filled with the Spirit. I could see it in their lives, so I thought, yeah, these are the people to ask to help me learn how to pray. 
also seems to not just be a yes-no thing. It's not just like you can put people into two categories. They're filled with the spirit ones and they're not filled with the spirit ones because it's compared to things like faith and wisdom. And these things are are things you can possess in increasing measure. You could say, well, that person's full of faith. That person's even more filled with faith. And that person, they've not reached the kind of top of how full of wisdom you can be. There's always more to grow in. Same with the the thing of being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's always more. God wants to fill us more and more and more. And I think that's why the idea of the coat or or the sail is a much better picture than the glass or the bottle. Because you can fill a glass to capacity and say, well, that's it. That's all that there can be. Whereas a sailing ship, there's always more of the wind that can fill the sail. It can catch a bigger gust of wind and be more filled. Back into Acts 4 then. At the end of the chapter, you've got this another, uh, another amazing encounter. The believers are, have been praying, and it says in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, as I read this, I'm a bit reminded of those verses about Pentecost that I read out a few minutes ago. Seems pretty similar and yet different at the same time. So just like the day of Pentecost, there was some physical phenomena going on. But this time, there's no rushing wind going through the room. This time, there's no tongues of fire on people's head. But the ground shakes this time. There's like a little mini earthquake. There's a tremor in the place where they are. Again, it's a corporate event. It's something that the church experiences together. Although this time, there's no mention of speaking in tongues being the result of it. This time, it's boldness for evangelism. They, they go out and they continue declaring the word of God. That seems to be the effect that's mentioned. It's also interesting to think, isn't it? There's a bit of an overlap in terms of who was in the room at the time. So a lot of the people uh, who were there will have been people who became Christians after Pentecost because through Peter's sermon, there were thousands of new believers. But also a lot of them, would have been there on the day of Pentecost. People like Peter and John and the others who were there on Pentecost, they were there now as well. And it's not exactly like they said, well, we've already taken the filled with the spirit box. We've done that. So we'll sit this one out and just watch and you guys crack on. No, they were hungry. They were hungry and eager to be part of it. They wanted more. If God's spirit was blowing, they wanted to be there. They wanted to be as full of the spirit as they possibly could be. Some people, when it comes to this idea of being filled with the Spirit, they use the terminology of a second blessing. And Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft, um, they've written this book, Everyday Supernatural, which we don't often do this. In fact, we've never done this before as a church, but we're having a book of the term this term that we're going to recommend everyone who's up for it reads the book. And this is what we've picked, Everyday Supernatural. But in it, there's a quote that I think is brilliant. Um, They say, a friend of ours was once asked whether he believed in the second blessing. He replied, yes, it happens between the first blessing and the third blessing. We receive everything in Christ, but we can also be filled with the Holy Spirit, not just once, but many times as we follow God. And that seems to be what we see in this story. It seems to be what happened to Peter and to John 
and to the others. And that's been my experience as well, as I've been a Christian following God. It's not just that there's one moment that the Spirit's filled me. There have been several times over my life as a Christian, many times in fact, that the Spirit has filled me anew and afresh. So we should always be eager and hungry for more. Jumping into Acts 8, there's another story about the Spirit filling people, this time in Samaria. Now, what's, what's happened in Samaria is there's been persecution in Jerusalem. The believers have scattered to different towns and cities around. Some of them have gone to Samaria, and when they get there, they start telling people about Jesus. People there believe, and so we pick up the story in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So again, it's a bit similar to what we've read in Acts 2 and Acts 4. This is a corporate experience, a group of people together filled with the Spirit. Only this time, there isn't any mention of any physical phenomena. There's no rushing wind, the ground doesn't shake. No mention's made of anything like that. There's also no mention made of anyone speaking in tongues. There's no mention made of boldness for evangelism. None of that is included in this story. Although this time we do get the details that the apostles had come and that they were there, that they'd laid hands on people and prayed for them. And that's what had brought it on on this occasion. And what strikes me as I read this and I read Acts 4 and I read Acts 2 is how they're all the same and yet they're all different. How it's the same essential thing, the Spirit of God filling people and yet the details aren't the same. It's not a formulaic thing. And so when I hear people say, oh yeah, filling of the Spirit, that always happens through laying on of hands. I say, well, no. It sometimes does. There are stories where that's a big part of it, and there are stories where it's not mentioned. I hear people say, if you're filled with the Spirit, then the result is always that you speak in tongues. No, but sometimes it is. It seems that that happens on occasion. doesn't seem to be mentioned every time, though. It's almost as though the Holy Spirit is sovereign and can do what he wants and work as he wants in any situation, isn't it? It's not a cookie-cutter thing. But it's God, the Holy Spirit, filling people's lives and having amazing effects. We get another one in Acts 9. This is when Saul or Paul first gets converted. He believes. He gets baptised. And this is actually the only occasion in the whole book of Acts that we're told of someone being filled with the Spirit on their own. Most times it's a group of people. In his case, it is an individual thing. And it seems to be presented as a normal part of what it is for him to become a Christian. He believes He gets baptised and then he gets prayed for to be filled with the Spirit. Now, there are are other stories of people becoming Christians where this isn't mentioned in Acts. But in in Saul's case, it seems to be part of the process. Acts 10, you've got Cornelius' house. This time, Peter is preaching. And as he's preaching, the Spirit falls upon the whole household. And this is the first time in the story that the Spirit's been poured out in a Gentile context. So you remember at the start it said you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's like we're tracking that story, the Spirit being poured out in all those places. And this time the result is they do speak in tongues and they do extol and praise God. 
Acts 13, we're not going to a lot of detail here, but right at the end, as Paul and Barnabas are about to leave Pisidia, we're told that they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So it seems that the effect this time is they've got an amazing joy. Again, it's different, isn't it? Joy hasn't been mentioned in any of the others. It seems like every time there's something that happens, there's always some noticeable effect, but not always the same. And then the last one we get mentioned is in Acts 19. And this time, Paul's found a group of uh, disciples who've been raised up by Apollos, but Apollos didn't know the full gospel. He'd only heard of John the Baptist preparing the way and didn't know the fullness of what Jesus did. So, uh, in fact, they hadn't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And so Paul taught them more fully. He taught them about what Jesus had done, uh, and then they believed. And when they believed, they were baptised, and uh, Paul laid hands on them. So this is another one where laying on of hands is part of it, and they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. So that's kind of just taking us through the book of Acts and seeing what we see. It's a little bit of of an overview, isn't it? But let's just summarise what we see there. When I think about what happened to my friend Peter, when I think about that transformation in his life, and when I read the book of Acts, it seems normal. It seems like what happened to him is part of the Christian experience. It seems like it's a thing that happens in the Bible, a thing that happens often, a thing we should expect, and a thing we should desire. It also seems to be something that can happen to us in our Christian life again and again and again. It's something that if it happened to us once, that should light a fire for us to want more, not to settle for what we have. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, it tells us to go on being filled with the Spirit. Also, it's usually pretty clear when it's happened. Usually there seems to be something accompanying it, whether it's joy, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's giving praise and worship to God. There seems to be some noticeable effect. It doesn't seem to be a thing where you could say, yeah, I think I might have been filled with the Spirit a week ago last Tuesday, but I'm not sure. um, You know, it seems to be quite noticeable when it happens. And it seems to be something that has an ongoing effect, a transformative thing, such that you could look look at your life and say, wow, yeah, I can see, wow, yeah, you're full of the Holy Spirit. It seems to make a difference. So we're at the start of a new year. We're at the start of 2022. And the start of a year, I don't know if you find, it's a, it's a time for taking stock, isn't it? It's a time for thinking about life, for envisioning what you would like life to be. I was at the park yesterday morning and Andy was there and he said to me, Tom, what are your hopes for 2022? And that's a good question, isn't it? I wonder if you've pondered, what are your hopes for 2022? And I think the best answer we could give is my hopes for 2022 is that I'd be filled with the Spirit, that the breath of God would fill my life, that I'd be propelled along by the momentum of what God wants to do. If I'd have been more awake, that's the answer I would have given Andy. I think I muttered something about football at the time. (coughs) But that's just because it was the morning and I stayed up late on New Year's Eve, you know? But isn't that the best answer, that 2022 will be a year of the Holy Spirit, a year where the Spirit works, where the Spirit moves, where the Spirit fills our lives. I mentioned a couple of months ago in a, in a preach that I did here, a picture that God had given me of, uh, it was like the front of a hotel and there were rows of windows. It was dark and some of the lights were on 
and some of the lights were off. And I thought God was saying this is a picture of something he wants to do in the church, that if those windows are people, like he wants to turn the lights on for more and more people, for people to get this vision of God-centred living. And I think it's about this. It's about being filled with the Spirit. Well, I was praying yesterday, and I was on a bridge near the Lowry Hotel. You know, there's a little river that goes there. And I was looking in one direction, and I saw quite a few buildings, and it was dark when I was praying. And there were rows and rows of windows, and hardly any of them were on. But I was reminded of that picture. And I was praying, I was like, God, we need to see in the church more and more lights going on. And then I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to me, turn around. So I did, I turned around, and from this bridge I looked in the other direction. And there were loads more buildings. And when I looked in the other directions, these buildings had loads of the lights on, like the majority of the lights were on. And that just gave me a picture of what this church, all the church could be this year, that God wants to see the lights go on. This morning, it's an invitation into an experience. I've spent a bulk of time explaining, going through the Bible, teaching what this is, which is an important and needed thing. But that's not the bullseye. The goal isn't that we can all go away and explain what the filling of the Spirit is and how it works. The goal is that we get filled with the Spirit, yeah? The goal is that we experience what we're talking about. Francis Chan said, we're not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and presence of the Spirit of God. So this morning, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite God to move. And I'd like to I just invite you to think about how you respond to this. Maybe you're someone who you know you've been filled with the Spirit before. You've heard teaching like this. You've had experiences like the one I talked about with Peter, where you'd say, yeah, I was filled with the Spirit. Let let me invite you to not settle for something that happened to you 20 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago or however long ago it was. Let me invite you this morning to ask God afresh to fill you anew for what he's got for you coming up. Maybe you'd say something you've never experienced. Maybe as I talk about this, there's something like, this sounds good, but it's not familiar to me. Let me suggest this might be something that you're you're desperately missing. I was speaking to my uncle over over the Christmas time, and he's recently invested in an electric bicycle. And he was telling me that after years and years on his ordinary pedal bike, struggling up the hills by his own strength. It was exhausting. He didn't go very fast. He didn't get very far. It's only now he's at the other side and has got this uh, super-powered electric bike that he can see what he was missing. He can go faster. He can go further. It doesn't weary him in the same way that it used to. And isn't that a picture for what we're talking about? That many of us, we might have been battling on in the Christian life, trying our best, trying to do well by our own strength. And maybe just getting that little bit frustrated. Could there be more to this? Could there be more power? Could I go further? Could I go fast? Why is it so wearying all the time? Let me invite you this morning into this experience of the empowering fullness of the Spirit of God. He wants to do a work in your life. Maybe you feel totally worn out. Maybe you ah, sounds good, Tom. I'm too tired for that. You know, I just want a nap. This sounds like more. John Bloom asked the question, do you feel dry? 
Are you weary? Are you tired of talking so much about glorious theology, but not experiencing the reality of it? Then you are a good candidate for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Your dryness and discouragement may, in fact, be invitations from God to press into him.